Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, what's up? Look at that setup. Yeah, I got got myself a little mic set up. You got to appreciate the uh, when we bring improv guys on, they always have a, a new and the better mic. mic right? You're taking the cake right now. <laughs> Never not a jiggy mic. <laughs> well, Zach Olson and I host a uh, we host a Baywatch recap podcast as well. So that's oh, not boy. true. That's not true. Yeah, it absolutely is. <laughs> How much Baywatch is there to recap? Oh, I got a. There are eleven seasons of Baywatch. There's Baywatch Hawaii. There's Baywatch Nights. There's there's a lot. So we're in <laughs> so we got a long way to go. What's the recap? Like so many titties bounce this episode. And it's actually Lowry. like a pretty like it, it gets a little bit more like eye candy ish as time goes on, but it's actually like a pretty cheesy, wholesome ish show for for the first little while. So if you guys are ever interested in coming on, we'd love to have you. I'll talk say some less watch. because I have there's a scene where Cody Decker comes on this fucking show and it is the greatest worst acting I've ever seen in my fucking life. Oh, sure yeah. I don't think we've gotten there yet. So <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll have you on for that episode. Okay, perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's that sounds so... like you've claimed that one. Yeah, that oh, was yeah. way more specific than anything I was gonna say. Yeah, I was gonna yeah, be like, I'll oh, Donna Dierko, she was hot for a <laughs> no, minute. Bro, look, I literally <laughs> have it saved. I've never cl- I opened uh, somebody sent me this. And I never closed this link. And I ha- went back to watch this episode just because this clip is so fucking insane. Oh, <laughs> like, man. <laughs> he's okay. the- no, he really has it pulled up. <laughs> oh, he's got it. He's got it loaded up. All right. <laughs> Piazza is just... He's a Dodgers. He's just sitting there swinging a bat in full Dodgers uniform on the beach. Pamela Anderson rolls up. What, what are you doing? <laughs> Listen to this. I get no. We're not gonna oh. listen. Save it for when you go on his his podcast. No, I had no idea he had that in the. It was literally one line. No idea. It's literally one line. This podcast. It's literally one line where she goes, "You can't be swinging that bat on the beach." And he was like, "I'm a professional baseball player. What does that mean? Why are you swinging a bat on the beach?" Baywatch wow. is chock full of those moments. It's yeah. it's moment after moment like that. It, you know, it, it's burned in my mind. It makes me laugh every time. If I'm feeling down, I just pull up that clip. What? <laughs> 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 Suffering from seasonal affective disorder? Watch this clip. Yeah. Uh, Charlie, I seen you like 20 minutes ago because we are next door neighbors. We're next door neighbors. We are recording this from from two separate <laughs> two separate apartments that are 20 yards from each other. I did think I, the 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 green flannel it doesn't pop as much on camera as it does in real. I seen you on the streets and I was like, it's nice. It's <laughs> oh, nice flannel. Right yeah, I know. Here. It's this this MacBook Air camera. It doesn't quite have the HD going. So yeah, in person, it's a it's a nice nice piece. MacBook so. Air. For the listeners out there, Chris knows this. I see you walk by my house five times a day at least. Because I don't move from this spot really unless I'm out golfing. Right. And you have the same loop you do with your dog. Yeah. You're the person I see the most in life. I don't see anybody more than I see you. We have a very regular schedule of seeing each other, which is, yeah, me taking my dog out several times a day. Uh, you'll often uh, send me a message commenting on my haircut or, <laughs> or you'll yell from the window and, uh, <laughs> and shout it out. And it's like it's become our regular appointment is me looking and you, you sitting in front of the TV and waving at me. 
See, the thing is, he had a nice haircut one day. <laughs> it was, it was it had to be nice. noted. You just had it to highlight nice. it. I respect that. <laughs> you know, people should be more comfortable giving random compliments. Today. And then yeah, you had the Dodgers hat on. You had the Dodgers yep. hat on the other day, yeah, which was absolutely. which was special. I didn't know that's how you felt. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in Southern California, so I grew up in Riverside. So SoCal sports are... Are, are my thing. I was actually closer to uh, Angel Stadium because it's about 20, 25 minutes from Anaheim. Uh, but my dad and I used to go to Dodgers games. My dad is a, he's a huge, formerly San Diego, now LA Chargers fan. Uh, he went to San Diego State, so Padres, Dodgers, uh, Lakers, Clippers, like all of them, we would just, uh, that I kind of just claim SoCal sports. See, I don't like that. Yeah, There's too say, many Rob's things. Very, you got to pick. You can't be Dodgers and Angels and Padres. I, I grew up in San Diego a little bit. Like, I mean, most of my life, I guess. But <laughs> so I grew up bit. earlier in L.A. And then I always, like, all my family was here. So I have no, I never liked San Diego. I don't rep it. When the Dodgers won and I posted Dodgers, hella people came at my neck. Like, bro, you're supposed to like the Padres. Like, <laughs> fuck you. But I get it. Choose one. If I was out here repping San Diego a lot, I, they'd have a point, but I never well, I repped say, San Diego. I would say my childhood hierarchy was Angels first. Uh, I was a big Angels fan. I was in high school. It was my senior year of high school when they won the World Series, 2002. It's a huge thing for me. But as I got older, and especially in moving to L.A., spending more time here, I've definitely gravitated over towards the Dodgers. I'm not, I'm not quite that. But so much of it has to do with my connection and relationship to my dad rather than any kind of like diehard loyalty. But... Uh, yeah, I think I think I'm I'm definitely more Dodgers now. I uh, haven't been here for the last few years. Wow, well, I don't sense. I don't have a dad, so oh I don't God. have that. I don't have that connection. Like, the minute you said that, the myself. minute you said that, because I was going to bring up a point, and then I was like, it's just going to set him up even more. Because I was going to say that's how most sports fandoms start, right? Like your your dad was like, oh, I fucking love this shit, and you just went to it. And you're like, oh yeah, I love this shit too. That's but like, yeah, I was like, you like it, I must yeah. like it. Yeah, no. I was and just I was walking thinking, by an orphanage one day, and they had on some Dodgers gear, and I was like, wow, how must that be to feel so involved in a community? He was walking by. <laughs> Notice he was walking by an orphanage. Walking he didn't have to be. I wasn't an orphanage. He wasn't at the orphanage. <laughs> I understand he what just they felt walked like. by. He was like, "Yo, hey, we get it. I get a little <laughs> half of it. I get half of how you feel." But he was like, "No, nigga, it's not the same." <laughs> oh shit! But that is. I mean, usually we do more preamble, but it's such a great segue because we Sad watched shit. the wrestler for your request, <laughs> and the whole time I was like. I get his daughter, man. She didn't have a father. She didn't yeah. get it. She didn't have it. She didn't have that presence. Although I wouldn't be as mad as her, but I mean, we're jumping ahead, but the, the, I felt like that's a good time to transition. You wanted to do, he, you don't know this, Chris. No, he no. wanted to do Friday Night Lights, Oof, but we did movies. that, but that's Chris's yeah. favorite yeah. show ever. Movie. Movie show. show. Oh, yeah. okay. You don't like the show. I don't care about the show at all. Okay. My bad. <laughs> I, I was a movie person too. Yeah. Movie and book. Yeah. Yeah. That movie was fucking elite. That book is also crazy. And yeah. It, as we stated in the episode, it is the greatest representation of football put on film or yeah. like any form of medium. It makes you go, okay, I get it. I had it. never seen anything like it when it came out. Uh, I think like the this was in the early days of Shaky Cam, so before it got overused so much. So it was that yeah. docu-style uh, filming also the ins- explosions in the sky soundtrack uh-huh. is amazing uh, real real also, highway robbery of your emotions yeah absolutely yeah uh, i i just like 
I definitely felt something when I watched it. And I did watch the show too several years later. I was recording, I was uh, recovering from surgery during a certain period and I watched all of it in like a few days and I liked it too, but nothing can top the film for me. Uh, exactly. It's still something that I like. I like to watch every once in a while just to, to put myself back in that, in that so I, space. I, I still don't feel like there's a big difference between Shut that up, movie you're and wrong. Varsity Blues. <laughs> Shut up, you're so I'm wrong. I'm sure I'm wrong, but oh, I feel boy. the same. So wrong. I feel the same. It's a massive difference. That's the most absurd thing <laughs> I've ever just heard. like a little more I'm comical getting... and has like a Shut up! up. <laughs> <laughs> you're making me mad! <laughs> Five State Blues is a cartoon! <laughs> All right. I thought Billy Bob was well acted. I really liked his character. <laughs> Uh, did you play football? Like why? So, yeah. Yeah. So, so my relationship with sports growing up is uh, I was I weighed three hundred and fifty pounds in high school, so oh, I was like, boy. yeah, I was a I was a big, big boy. boy, and so I think my parents, as I was getting older and getting heavier, they had me just try everything. Uh, they had me try basketball, had me try baseball, had me try football, and ended up getting cut from Pop Warner because I I was too heavy. Like I I was I was too heavy for, for my age group and. They moved me up one division because I was in that weight class, but then I like was tipping the point of being too heavy for that weight class too. And they rather than move me up, they were like, he's gonna get just destroyed if he plays with these like 15 year olds when I was nine. So they just cut me. Wow. So, Wait, hold on, pause there. Cause I feel like that never happens anymore. I see so many clips on Instagram where it's monsters. like, look at this four hundred pound third grader. It's, it's rushing not- for five hundred yards a game. And they yeah. don't do anything about it. They just let it go. Why'd they cut you? I don't understand. No, same thing. I think it, I think there. I had no athletic ability whatsoever either. So <laughs> it wasn't, like, wasn't, wasn't going to be unfair for the other kids. It was definitely going to be unfair for me. <laughs> There's the rub. There I you wasn't go. too good. There that's you go. for sure. There you go. I was just about to say they. Uh, when I played in Powell, they like the. I had to play two age groups up because I was just too big. I was like, "What did you expect, bro?" Like. I showed up to camp six foot and I weighed two fifty. No shit, I'm gonna be. Yeah, in, for in, sure. In basketball, they're just like, oh, he's just gonna be better. <laughs> like I just played yeah. my age group the whole time. It's but it's yeah. different in hooping though, like because like football when you're that young, the difference in mass is so astounding. Of what absolutely. You can do. Like if you are just that much bigger, you are going to hurt these children. Like, like yeah. if you're easily just gonna move through and you're gonna. Deck one of these little kids, and it's just a liability for the program. Yeah, fair enough. Absolutely. Yeah, so I ended up doing marching band in high school. Um, I was in band from fifth what grade. Instrument? Uh, uh, trumpet. Trumpet. Nice. Yeah. So I did that. So uh, so obviously we were, you know, played uh, the, all the pep rallies for both football and basketball. We had halftime show, uh, so we would perform our field show, and then we did travel tournaments where we would compete and uh, perform different places around Southern California, but also took trips to Hawaii, Washington, D.C., San Francisco, Arizona to perform and march in parades. Was it like um, college band is presented in the movie Drumline and that you all were traveling around? And I really want to know because I think uh, sports are also like this, is that there is the black team and the white team. So basically, did you go around and do uh, competitions against like black drum, like 
schools and they would be like, here we come to get you. And y'all were doing like Beethoven no. and shit. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> uh, yeah, Riverside's a, a, like a pretty diverse area. And so we had like, a, a, you know, a mix of people. But I think most schools around the area were just like, we would perform mostly against other public schools. So there weren't like, you didn't have like historically black colleges or things like that where you would go and compete against those and have any kind of uh, real like noticeable difference. Now there were schools that had very small programs and schools that had big programs. We were kind of like a medium sized one. I think we had about 190 people in our marching band, but Arcadia High School, which is about 30 minutes east of here, uh, their school, I think they had 400 people just in the the brass and woodwind section and then adding their drum line. Then we had a color guard as well. So it was like they were putting so many people in the field. It actually made them worse. They couldn't do as many interesting forms on the field because it was so many moving parts. So I feel like we had a good healthy size where we could do a little bit more intricate shows uh, thematically because we were in the 200 range, but 400, it was just insane. But their sound was just like, it would just like blow you out of the stadium (laughs) because it was so many people, yeah. That's ridiculous. Well, Bring It On has lied to us yet again. They made it seem like it's just the black team and the white team and all things. And that's lied once more time. I used to go with my mom to the, uh, I forget what it was called, like San Diego... Fuck. So San Diego something classic where it's like Grambling versus like Howard and see those bands. And then when I got yeah, to Berkeley, yeah. like the Berkeley band, I was like, this is worse. <laughs> but <laughs> but my worse. first girlfriend was actually in the band. Little known fact about me. I get outs here. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> Weird she, brag, bro. Weird, weird brag. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> she was in the band. <laughs> uh, but yeah, not a cheerleader. Um, we were... Um, she would like explain to me the technical differences and stuff. And I was like, okay, you have like a point. She's like, yeah, yeah. What we're doing is musically is just very difficult. I'm like, I don't know that. It looks like you're just all white and Asian people walking in a circle. That's all I see. Sure. It was, it was pretty intricate. So we did like the whole band camp thing where we, and we had like all these formations and you would get all of these printouts and you'd have to record where you were going. And it was like, you need to take 12 steps to get to this location or you have eight beats to get there and it's either like you would it was either scramble formation where everyone could take whatever path they needed to or you had to take this exact path to make this particular thing then the color guard would work on their formations as well everything was in time with us then there were composers who were editing the music to make sure that it fit exactly with the formation that we were doing um and we would just practice for Band camp was eight hours a day in the summer every day. And then we always just sixth period was marching band and it always went an, an extra hour after school, like sports practice. So it would be like two hours a day every day to get everything ready. And then basically like the football games were practice. Like we would perform at the halftime show, but it would be practice for these big shows where you would have like 30 bands of different classes come and compete against each other. And then they'd have these huge award ceremonies. So we had this like trophy room that was just like stacked with trophies and they'd award things like, you know, like best spirit, like best technical presentation, like best sound, best whatever. And there would just be like all these different pro, uh, 
trophies for each particular aspect of the show. So this this Damn, really sounds like I want to see the Bring <laughs> right? It On version of <laughs> right? Bant. Exactly. This, yeah. It sounds like it sounds like Bring It On. I was with like, Bant. you can make that intense, bro. I, you, movies lie to me yet again. I just assumed because of American Pie, y'all was just having American weird Pie sex. Band Camp. Just just doing Last kinky things with instruments. Just doing kinky things with instruments. And it was 110 degrees, and you were just so sweaty that nobody was thinking about sex or anything. <laughs> it was like you know, this was not a camp. It was just like a bunch of like sweaty teenagers. Just like dying in the heat and carrying instruments around the field. There we go. You could easily make that a funny movie. Yeah. I like it. I like it already. I'm interested. Uh, All right. So, back on topic here The Wrestler. I did not know what to expect when you said this movie. It's it's fucking sad, man. It's yeah. mad depressing. I hate sad movies. It's I hate just, getting duped into watching a sad movie. I mean, he picked two sad movies if it was Friday between Friday Night Lights and this. <laughs> like, no, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't mind this one being sad, though, because I guess it was predictably sad. Like, the first three minutes, I was like, uh, I know what this is going to be. This is going to be a bummer. Yeah. I, thought, I, thought, I thought right away that they were going to show him die. Or yeah, like that he no. would like die in the ring, but they never actually showed it. So I guess we don't no, know. It's up to your up to your imagination. But you, but, but I hate that. Show, <laughs> I, no, no, you're you're in charge of my imagination for this two hours. Not at all. Fill, fill in my gaps. Don't <laughs> let me. If I'm here to write a fucking story, I'll write my own goddamn story. They Tell wanted him to go out is. in a blaze of glory, right? <laughs> yeah. That that's a better way of ending it. I think you say that, but if he would have, you would have saw him die. It would have lessened it. It would have ruined the story a little bit. Anywho, this is a very good movie, and um, I only know his face as this, and by him I mean Mickey, Mickey Rourke. Rourke. Mickey Rourke. <laughs> like I, I had to go back like once you start doing film school stuff and like binging movies of an era and I was like Mickey Rourke was nice with it like god damn what the fuck happened to Mickey Rourke we got into a really bad I think it was a really bad motorcycle accident yeah or or something like that yeah then his his face got like scarred up and so that's why he looks significantly different than like Rumblefish and movies like that but and the drugs but it's made him like way more (laughs) like like he can play roles like this and look the part way more like uh because he's Vanko in a in Iron Man too, yeah, which I feel like came out around the same time as this, and like that it, face it did, really yeah. like it looks like it fits the fucking part. I don't think there's a better person to cast in this role on planet Earth. I don't think so Perhaps. either. And I think like this was during the Mickey Rourke Renaissance in like the mid two thousand. So it was yeah. like Sin City. Uh, he was also in like Man on Fire with Denzel. He was in, uh, I think he was in Once Upon a Time in Mexico. And then this movie, and then Iron Man two, and then he stopped doing movies again. But yeah, at this time it was like he was getting cast a lot. Also in the Expendables. One thing about yeah. having a face like that also is that he literally looks the exact same in real life too. Like he's not one of these people. Like in, <laughs> like my my one of my boys. Longer hair, and that's it. <laughs> one of my boys from uh from high school, um, who was a great basketball player in high school. He trains. I think he still trains Mickey Rourke. And so he would come to the gym and just like, and this, this dude's like 70 and he's like in excellent shape. His face looks like that, but his body looks like that too. Like this (laughs) motherfucker's out here cut up. First time he took, yeah, you see him without his shirt on in the movie. You're like, okay, yeah, he's, he's ripped. I I don't look like that. And I played sports for so long. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But if you are known as like a heartthrob actor, like who's also like talented and then you from drugs in a accident maul your face completely you're like i gotta at least be 
I gotta be chiseled, dog. I gotta have something. Like you know what I mean? You gotta be putting your time in on some way. And I don't I know if you guys heard, but he's on he was on this most recent season of The Mass Singer, and he like at one point just got hot in the costume and so he just took his mask off without <laughs> like didn't get eliminated didn't get anything like that he was just like i'm done with this and just took his mask off oh, i thought like, you were gonna oh, say that mickey rourke. i thought you're gonna say young mickey rourke was on the mass singer and wore his old face <laughs> <laughs> and he took it off like surprise it's been me the whole time yeah <laughs> you thought ah motherfucker <laughs> i still look great <laughs> uh terrifying but yeah also f- fun thing about this movie a lot of Marissa Tomei titties. <laughs> I was like, what's happening? What's happening? I didn't know she had nude scenes like that. I feel, what's it going was on? so much. I was like, this is gratuitous at this point. I may, this I may. so Relax. much of it. There's a lot. Yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> she, I, two years ago, I was canvassing for Harley Ruda in OC, and she was like there, like hyping people up. I mean, it was a small group, so I stood like two feet away from her. And I'm like, damn, I wish I'd seen this movie first. <laughs> why, why? So you'd just be creepily leery? Yeah, like, basically. Oh, shit. basically. Like, oh, I had wait, no idea. Oh. I had no idea. <laughs> if only I'd known. <laughs> she's someone that's always been very crushworthy for sure. Like, even, even now, she's uh, the Aunt May in the new yep. Spider Man movies. And you're yeah. like, she's still. Gorgeous. I saw yeah. her at Silver Lake Wines, and I was like, "Damn, you you really that bad in real life too?" Because usually there's a fall off. <laughs> there's a fall off in the movie version and the real life version of the person, and she was just a whole thing. I was like, "Damn, those are good genetics. Those are good white genetics." Because she's almost sixty. <laughs> good <white> genetics. <laughs> <laughs> like, y'all, don't, y'all don't usually age like that. God, yeah, damn, it'd be a travesty <laughs> to be like a black person with bad genetics. Like, how old are you, Rod? Like. <laughs> 26 motherfucker what <laughs> the black cracked i don't know man it got me dog it got me <laughs> the black cracked oh no so what it, what about what about this movie inspired you my guy yeah i think that it it shows a lot of like and i think it's something that i experienced growing up especially being a heavy person i think it was like it kind of speaks to the cage of masculinity especially in these uh, these types of sports or these types of, and I think Friday Night Lights is a perfect example of this as well, in which if there is not something beyond the ring or beyond the football field, basketball court, baseball field, like, you know, either going into uh, a completely different industry or going into coaching, management, or uh, uh, an on- announcing slash commentating, then there is no safety net for these men who have built their entire identity on being good at this one thing. And they have this this prime that is when they're at their athletic best and then beyond that, their lives and their bodies completely and totally fall apart. And I think it just speaks to the tragedy of that. It, uh, I think especially with him, you know, you see at the beginning that this is someone who was you know, a a WWE equivalent legend. This is someone who was playing, you know, who was competing at Madison Square Garden. He was part of the big show. He was at one point probably the most popular wrestler of all time. And then now you see where his life is. And I think it's just the tragedy of the, not only how destitute he was, but how much he had to do to maintain his look, maintain 
his ability to function because of pain, injury, whatever it is. And I just think it's it's uh, unexplored uh, often, and it's something that I think a lot of times uh, athletes who are not given life after their sport uh, like are just kind of like abandoned. And I just think that's, yeah. And I think the tragedy of that is something that really speaks to me. Do you think that this is just like literally a parody of Ric Flair's life? Or yeah. Ric Flair got bread. Yeah. There are people that aren't, but I think like watching, there was a, uh, was it Wrestling with Shadows? Did you guys ever see that documentary? Mm -mm. It it was about, um, Brett the Hitman Hart. Yes. And it, yes. 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 And, and it's, it's, you know, about the, it, a big part of that is the Montreal screw job where uh, Vince McMahon um, had him. Uh, he was supposed to win his match against Shawn Michaels. And then uh, Vince McMahon, like basically told Shawn Michaels to pin Bret Hart. And it, and in wrestling, it seems like that wouldn't be a big deal, but it set the tone for the rest of his career and life in the sense that it represented a fall from grace in a lot of minds of people who had really looked up to him because he lost and it made him a less popular wrestler. And then he eventually was kind of like this. It wasn't as bad, but he was a person who then had to move on from wrestling into his life and kept trying to make comebacks and of them were as popular as he was initially and he was like out of money and he was doing things like this like this backyard professional wrestling type stuff where he was getting two hundred dollars a match at the end of it and wasn't able to pay his you know he and his wife were having issues and he was having health problems and all that stuff and while it's certainly not on the level that this movie represents i think it is something that especially in wrestling wrestling seems to be the one in which because it is so these are athletes who are treated as entertainers when their entertainment value has has expired they're just like the fall off is like precipitous like it's not a thing where you are able to you know continue with endorsements or continue to move forward in your life like you it basically just all disappears for so many of them unless they go into either writing for WWE or are able to parlay it into some other industry uh, wrestling and football are the two which is why friday and i like it's perfect in that scene where booby miles where he smiles and yeah. he leaves this locker room are both talking on the same thing is that they you are only useful until you are not in the most extreme way and they don't do anything to help you do in like prepare yourself for any other form of life more than any other sport because Absolutely. of how much it takes out of you. and i only really knew the wrestling comparison once like the rock got famous because he made a point to talk about it all the time he's like bro like you got to think people are doing this their entire life he was like i I was trying to do this shit from a child after i stopped playing football because my dad did it you know what i mean there's people who are spending their whole careers doing this and the problem is everybody thinks it's a joke it's like oh this is stupid this is that da da da. not acknowledging all the physical things you have to put your body through in order to do it you know what i mean and be good at it much like football get every for any given sunday which is the most the best professional one but that's right. just like a hyper version of it but it still shows that your life is going to be ruined because you have been hitting monsters for 
20 years. You know what I mean? Like in the slight form that they do it in any given Sunday. They do cover it briefly, but still, it's like, yo, there is a cost to this shit, and nobody wants to acknowledge the cost of it at all. And they just want to focus on the, the big plays, but nobody wants to think about, oh, well, yeah, that right guard's <clears throat> life is ruined now. Like, You know what one actually like, does deal with CTs, though? <laughs> Boom. I am not acknowledging Legendary anything. I'm, I am not acknowledging movie. any football movie with James Van Don't you put that needle in his arm. Don't, in his arm. Don't put that needle in his arm. Uh, the, <laughs> I think that wrestling might even be a bit more extreme just because there's no... like it. I mean, in college, I think it's comparable, but when you get to professional ranks, there's only so many wrestlers actually making a lot of money. Absolutely. And... and Beyond that, they work like 345 days a year or something, like something insane where it's like football players. I mean, there's practice, but the games are they try and spread it out. They try and look, make it look at least above board because people don't know the inner workings of wrestling. And I've just seen like one documentary on this. So that's what I'm coming in with. But they, because a lot of regular people don't understand how this goes, they can really get away with exploiting these people way way more and leaving them with basically nothing vince mcmahon is a foul man bro vince mcmahon yeah. and um jerry jones two pieces of shit and they, they <laughs> look like pieces of shit too yeah and they're just like i'm like it is amazing that you are allowed to cook like the way you cook bro I, you know. I don't understand why any like white dude who looks a little mean goes slick back hair it's like bro yeah. that is immediately you look like a looks. villain yes what are you doing <laughs> Do anything except slick back hair, bro. Yeah. Uh, I guess he just started to become the character, bro, after a certain point. It's yeah, one thing I heard about about the WWE, and this was a long time ago, so I might be getting the numbers wrong, but the, the people who are, like many of the wrestlers who are in the WWE, who are not the top-tier wrestlers, are making something like 35 grand a year. Like, they're not, yeah. these guys are not, even though they're on, they're still on television, they're still, they're, they're getting nothing. Um, and... You know, I thought it was really interesting for this because this movie could have easily gone with CTs as being because a lot of these guys do get a lot of concussions and things like that, too. But the the choice to use his heart, heart condition, which clearly was from from the steroids and from the performance enhancing drugs that he had to continue to take to maintain, uh, including, you know, the drugs and alcohol for so many years as well. I think it's just something where the in order to keep you alive once you're done and maintain any kind of semblance, you're also like needing to take something that is slowly killing you. Um, which yeah, I it was, he was, yeah, that was an interesting thing with the doctor. Cause the doctor's basically like, I need you to stop taking all these drugs. Here's a lot of drugs. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay. All right. Thanks for the good news, doc. Yeah. <laughs> That really is what it is. I, there was a, a like three-year gap of time where people were just obsessed with the ins and outs of professional things. Like I think Black Swan came out two years after this. Just the people were just obsessed with making Same director, sad. too. Is it really? <laughs> yeah, it's Darren Aronofsky, yeah. <laughs> Aronofsky was just like, I'm going to make all this shit nobody cares about sad. And yeah. then like Whiplash came out two years after that. Just people were just... Oh, yeah. I want to see the What's dark going on shit. with drummers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the dark shit. What else can we explore? The dark side of video game programming. It's there around is the one. corner. There it's is around one. The yeah. There, there is, one. is. King of Kong. Yeah. <laughs> like a loser obsessed with one thing too much. Yeah, man. Uh, uh, my takeaway from this movie is that Ricky 
Mickey Rourke is a fucking dog. His acting in this movie is mind blowing. Like, yeah, he's like so he, good. He really carries this in a way that if he is not delivering this as hard as he is, this movie doesn't work. Like, I, I guess that's obvious to say about a lead of a movie, but like in a strong way. Like, I was watching it because I watched it again. Now I haven't watched it since like the time it came out before. Yeah, and I was like, "What in the fuck did he did he win anything for this?" I was like, "This, this shit is ridiculous." Like he is really fully sending this shit. He got I, nominated for best actor, and then he won the Golden Globe, and I think he won a BAFTA as well. But yeah, he was nominated for best actor, uh, which yeah, I believe I agree. He's incredible. The scene that I I always come back to is that hardcore match where it's cutting between him after the match and then you see what he actually went through and the fact yeah. that in every single match he's in, not only did he like give it 110% no matter what was happening, but I love how after every match and before every match, all these guys are friends. <laughs> like, <it's, laughs> yeah. That's such an interesting thing where it was like, no matter how badly they get beaten up, like the way that they talk about the matches and what they want to do, like even at the end, the the guy, the Ayatollah, when he sees that Mickey Rourke's heart is giving out, he's like, we need to end this, like pin me, like win this match so that you can go out. And he's like, no, I have to do the Ram Jam. And I love that so much because it showed how like, not only from a story perspective, but the way that Mickey Rourke communicated that with his eyes, there was never a moment in which when he was wrestling, he seemed to not want to be wrestling. If that made sense. It was the only time he seemed like fully and completely in his element. Yeah. Mm. That's the other, that's the other side of that curse of the, of these people who get, like again, the movie Mossy. What am I supposed to do? Like, like, yeah. like this. Like this is me. Like, like it, 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 the downside is that everybody thinks they are just being used. But there is a part of you where this is what I have always succeeded in. So I like this becomes. And I don't idea. need school because I'll have football. And I yeah. don't need good. I don't need grades. I don't. I will go to a good college because I will get a scholarship. That's last chance. You is another another thing like that. A lot of these guys. It's so. on football being the vehicle that will end but it's like if your body gives out at all like those you, dreams vanish but if you don't have and you find a vehicle that gives you half Absolutely. your identity becomes this vehicle and it's like that's so, uh that is uh, <laughs> that's why i was like yo no when people are you never wanted to play in the fuck no 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 <laughs> no no since i was a little kid no because i i know these people i've seen this so many times and it it hurts my soul. Like, I'm like, no, bro. Like, you can't, this can't be the end all be all for you, bro, because it's not made for it to be. And it's just, yeah. that's I mean, to say, like, what done. is it? The average life expectancy of an offensive lineman is 55. Bro. That's, that's bleak. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that movie. when you're a young athlete, first of all, when you're a young person, your perception of time is super whacked right so and you think you're invincible yeah yeah, for sure not as i mean the invincible part i think is part of it but like when i was 20 if i met someone my age i'd be like so you're on the way out huh (laughs) (laughs) it's not over for you dog (laughs) so you die next year so it's like when you think about like oh i mean i'll retire at 35 but that's basically i mean basically dead at that point yeah exactly you don't, you don't <laughs> consider like that amount of time afterwards and retiring at 35 is like a blessing like most people aren't retiring that late no but you just don't yeah you don't have this like perspective so everyone says the same and also when everyone says the same shit to you it becomes like 
just noise. So like 30 different people that are on their deathbed as far as you're concerned are being like, hey, make sure you're prepared for after football. Like, bitch, right now I'm preparing for the game. Like, for sure, I'm, for I'm preparing sure. for a check. Right. And it's, it, yeah, it's just, and I've seen it the most, especially when I was in the D League, because these are guys who have literally basically made nothing. And the way that they lie to themselves about, because they have to. If you don't lie to yourself, to say, you're basically yeah. never going to be successful. So you have to tell to yourself, that. no, I'm better than the room I'm in. It's just a matter of fucking time. Sure. And there's so many stories of people who held on. Like, like think of outside of sports, we think about everyone in LA who acts has a I lived in my car story. And they're like, yeah, but like, you know, Robin Williams did it, man. Like, this is how it's done. And it's like, bro, there's one Robin Williams and 18 million motherfuckers who moved back to Indiana. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't get the, we don't get, hear their stories because no one's listening to them. Right. Yeah, I think it was like, what is it? Chris Pratt was living in his van right before he got Parks and Rec. And, you know, and so somebody goes like, oh, that could be me. And it's like, yeah, that's the, like we've got like three of those stories. Yeah. They don't realize there's way more like Jonah Hill's like, oh, my dad was a guy. Facts. Like, yeah. That's everybody else. Facts. Everybody else. Facts. How did they get that? Their dad, their, their mom. Like, come on. It's a lot of, it's a lot of other things, bro. But uh, yeah, the, but yeah, you're right. That's the craziest, the craziest part is you have to believe that. Uh, and you, it's sad, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm sad thinking about it. I mean, that scene where he's he's at that uh, American Legion hall and he's he's there to sign autographs and he's just looking around and there's like the guy with like in the wheelchair where you can see like the catheter hanging off of him. There's the other guy who's like got that boot around his leg because he's clearly got some like gout situation going on and all these guys, like one guy's asleep on the table and it's it's such a depressing idea that like, and all of them are peddling these VHS tapes of their matches. And like DVD was huge at this point. So this <laughs> at least laser disc motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Come, sort of Come on, man. A VHS motherfucker. Yeah. I got to rewind this shit. Yeah. Get the fuck out of my face. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think that the movie, you just highlighted it. It does a really good job of, of being super overt with very subtle like moves. Uh, I was really, I really liked the, uh, when he tells the kid to come play video games and the kid's like, oh yeah, Call of Duty 4. And he's like, Call of what? Like, <laughs> and, it, and he's playing Nintendo because again, it's just like, it's like finding a thousand different ways to show that this guy's living in the past. Right. And it's like, even something as simple as like, I play Nintendo, but I want the kids to like enjoy right. it the way I do. Like, of course they don't. Like, the game was so goddamn simple. The kid's talking about Call of Duty. The first three were about World War II, but this new one's in Iraq. And it's like, <laughs> pin, dan, dan. And he's like, do you want to play again? Like, no, motherfucker, I don't. I'm going to play Call of Duty 4. And he's, he's playing this 20-year-old video game at the time in which he is the main character and he's playing as himself. So it's yes. just this like this dinosaur of a system and he's this old representation of him. And, you know, that's supposed to be very cool to these kids who have completely and totally moved on. And, like, I like the fact that the kids all clearly like him. Like, at the beginning of the movie, they bang on the van and they, like, have him wrestle with them or anything. But when he tries to connect with them in other ways, he's not he's not able to do so because, like, the world has moved on and he's still trying to recapture what that was. And, I mean, I, we see that a million times in representations of like men trying to recapture their former glory days but his is it's considerably less toxic to those around him now and almost entirely toxic on himself 
Um, you know, his toxicity was when he was in his prime. That's why he's trying to, you know, bridge this gap between him and his daughter. But he screws that up too. Uh, I feel like she was a little too hard on the motherfucker. Rachel Wood is like an actor. obviously don't don't come don't leave her hanging at the restaurant. Obviously, like he fucked up, but I I, I think about this all the time. People don't just flip a switch and become somebody different in a day. But if someone's trying to become different, you got to give them space to do that. Now, does she owe him that space? Probably not. Of course, right? But I just. In life, I think this is a really goddamn important lesson that I always try to remember is like, if I have a fucking drinking problem and I'm like, hey, today I'm going to stop drinking and then I end up drinking next week, I'm not just a fuck up. I'm someone who it might take time to get there. It, like, and I think that we sometimes in society, like I look at this now pre-Trump because Trump has really thrown everything out of whack. But pre-Trump, if I met someone who was like when I was 20, used to treat women like shit. And then I meet them again 12 years later and they're not doing that. Do I still say like, oh, well, when I, I, when I knew you in the past, you treated women like shit. Or do I give this person space to grow and change? Or do we always hold people to who they were? Because if we do, then the greatest part of life, which is growth and evolution, never happens. Fact. Yeah, I think it's about the legitimacy, legitimacy of that growth and evolution and trust is a huge part of that. So yeah. so in that sense like she has to trust that he's absolute that he's actually changed. And so that that does she does develop that a little bit as in that next scene where he gives her the gift and she there's that big moment where she comes up and grabs his arm and she's trying to give him that chance, but I think someone can come to you and tell you that they've changed, but showing you that they've changed is a completely different thing and I think that's what that was meant to see. And I also think there probably is something having to do with the fact that she's, you know, she's a, a gay woman and that, you know, that maybe there's some subtext that that was a challenge for her, given her upbringing, given, given, you know, we don't really know anything about her mom. But I think this is something in which like abandonment issues stemming from her relationship with either of her parents are probably leading to her having such a hard time welcoming him back in. But I definitely get what you're saying that like chances are incredibly important for people who have made mistakes in the past. But I also think, you know, as someone who, you know, has had to work on this type of stuff through therapy, I think build, rebuilding trust is a challenge and that's the thing that takes time. But she has to be open to it. But I think she yeah. opens up as things go on. I think him she opened up too quick. Restaurant. You, say, you yes. say she's your she husband. opened up too quick. She, I think he, she didn't ever talk to this fool. She got mad at him. He comes in one day and she's like, by the end of it, she's like, you know what? I still love you exactly the same. Like I'm gonna lean my head into you. Like I think at the end of that, she should have like been like, okay, like we're it's a process. Like she jumped too quick in, expecting him to be fully different. I don't think he ever says I'm a changed person. He says I'm a fucked up person and I'm out here trying and i'm trying to be honest with you about what it was in the past so that you understand and don't hate me but she dives in too quick and then he's obviously not fully changed and here we go yeah it's an imperfect process for sure <laughs> absolutely and i think like they both are like imperfect people make imperfect people bro like you don't yeah. know how many times <laughs> yeah. she has done yeah. that same thing and like maybe this time she actually felt the genuineness in it like he probably just said the shit before but like his actions like you can tell when a motherfucker is actually doing some shit that goes back to it. Like, you could tell when someone is actually trying to 
you are correct in that acknowledging the thing is the first step towards actually changing the thing. But there are a lot of people who's like, I treated females bad back in the day, but now I'm married and I don't do that. Yeah, but well, it's different. just like, <laughs> I don't do that. You yeah, know what I mean? Exactly. It's like, I've got a daughter it's now. Like, sure. It's like dirt yeah. dastardly. It's right. like, come on, my guy. Like, what are you talking about, nigga? Like, get the fuck out of my yeah. face. Like, I can still see that you are still the same person underneath as opposed to like, you can tell when somebody's really about that shit. Like, I acknowledge that this is a flaw and I'm trying to change said flaw. But you don't think yeah. that when he sat down with her and was telling her what that it wasn't her fault and all that, don't you feel like that was the first time he ever said that to her? I think so, yeah. yeah. Yes, and I think yes. that was affecting to her, especially, and when he, like, straight up laid it bare where he was like, I didn't know how or want to be a dad at that time. And so I, like felt like your life would be better without me in it. And I didn't know how to do that. So I walked out and I liked to pretend that you didn't exist so that I didn't have to deal with the guilt of that. And I think that to her was just a complete ownership of his role and responsibility in it and took it all off of her. And I think that opened her up a little bit because she's like, well, he just said it and he's he's taking ownership of it rather than being like, your mom didn't let me see you or or excuses, you know. And I it think was, yeah. before he was coming with excuses. I'm saying I'd like probably, I think up yeah. before this point, there has been moves by him that weren't real moves. And she was like, fuck out of here. Yes. And then this is the one time you're like, okay. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like at that point, now we're entering a new like space that. where it's like, okay, he's trying. But he didn't say, I'm a different person now. He said, this is the, this is the real me. And I'm clearly here because... I understand these were mistakes. Yeah. But yeah. I don't yeah. think he ever said, I'm different. Haha, it's all going to be different. And I think that's what made it, what, what opened her up, like you said. But also, again, obviously, these are imperfect people, whatever. But at that point, I don't think she should expect, you know what? He's going to be like every other dad now. Because that's fucking unrealistic. I don't she's think she she's also, I think she's also a character, like, I thought she played this really well in the sense that, this is that type of character that's incredibly fragile as well. And mm. so him not showing up for that dinner, like as much as that could be like, yeah, people are going to make mistakes on the road to recovery. I think if it was like someone who was in your life and was a constant person in your life and you've dedicated to that yourself to helping them on their journey to get better, when they backslide, you react lovingly. But when it's someone who has come to you and been like, and you've said, I don't want you in my life. I don't want you anywhere near me. And then that person has convinced you to open up a little bit because they're like, it's going to be different. Everything's going to be different. This was already so tough for you to let that person in. And then they screw up that first time. You're going to be like, everything, I didn't trust my instincts and I let you back in and I should have listened to myself the first time. And so you're not going to be a part of my life. Uh, yeah. And I think that was what that reaction was. And I like, I sympathized with that. I don't know if I can fully empathize with it because I haven't been through that exact thing, but I definitely was like, I got where that was coming from because she was so emotionally raw in every, everything that she said in the scenes that she was in. The boardwalk scene hits. Uh, yeah. I think, I feel like her, her wife, girlfriend, lover, whatever, you know, including her, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know exactly why, but I feel like it did definitely add something. Yeah. When he like goes in the house and they're like arguing about it, it shows like another part of her, of his daughter's like kind of dealing with him being back in her life, which is like the, maybe what she's hearing from her wife, which is like, 
you know, her wife clearly knows all the history behind this and is in her basically not in his corner the whole time. And I think that also shows, yeah, that for her, this is not just something that can come and go. It has to be stable or it can't happen. Yeah, the wife or girlfriend is going to have to deal with the fallout of whatever this emotional, you know, like, and with this this transgression with the restaurant scene, like, the wife has seen what this does to the daughter and so is, like, being very protective in that aspect um, because she only knows as much as the daughter has told her about yeah. Mickey Rourke, right? Yeah. So. I still For don't sure. think he's he's not as bad as uh, Nick Nolte was in The Warrior. That's an unredeemable father. That Nick I, have not, shit, I have not seen that movie shit. yet. Yeah. yeah, I don't Ooh, know this movie. Unbelievable, but a very intense and fun ride. Let me tell you what. <laughs> Ain't nobody fighting no three fights in a night, but the shit is lit, though. But <laughs> okay. it makes you go, yes, break his arm. And Tom Hardy's just, Tom Hardy's just being Tom Hardy. Just Kick his ass, Seabass. <laughs> We haven't talked at all about Marissa Tomei, and I feel like she's there to literally just mirror him in two a different movies, way. Two movies in a row. They both have the name thing where they like don't like to be, they yes, don't like, they to, don't like, like to like cross those boundaries, uh, which I thought was fascinating. And I also, I also really feel like the, you know, the end when she shows up is like her showing up for like herself or something. Like right. She's not just there for him. She's like. Trying to understand that she can be not a dancer and like associate with people in the real world. Yeah, I I really like the the scene where they go thrift store shopping because that's his first interaction with her um, when she's not a dancer, and he is like trying to figure out how to interact with her because he only knows how to interact with her in the strip club environment. And so when he's like, do you want to be called Cassidy or do you want to be called Pam? And then that's when he finds out that she has a kid, which he never knew before. So he had this idealized version of her that he was, quote unquote, in love with because uh, he would go and, and always, you know, get his dances from her and like to talk to her. But I think in that set, in that moment, I think that's where they developed like where he really felt like he got to know this version of her and he realized that he still was attracted to that. And then she started to see some of his humanity. I think it ultimately couldn't have ended differently than it ended though, because if he had just been like, okay, yeah, let's go off together because she just showed up for him. I don't think they would have a happily ever after. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Hmm. I, I, I feel like they could. I feel like they're the same person, and that was yeah. the point. Uh, yeah, it's it's two people who have. I I think the the level of intensity of the relationship comes from. Oh, you are somebody else who has to put on a character to do your thing, and it's destructive in its own way. You know what I mean? And I think you can you can. Oh, I say this is an overanalyzation of it, but like it, there there is like there's a reason he's that invested. You know what I mean? to this particular one because like we were saying he's hooked up in his from his male bravado this image of himself and if he's obsessed with an image of himself then what why would you not go out and try to find another thing that is an image of what a man wants from a woman which is just you know what i mean that thing and i think that once he sees the flaws i disagree that i think i'm on rod's side that they could because then that we just described that scene goes we are both 
gripping with the thing that we both make our money and live off of this thing that is not us. And nobody else really gives a fuck about us. They only want that thing. And yeah, they can definitely connect on that level for and sure. I think for him going through the realizations he's going through in life, that makes that even more of a good thing to somebody who gets it. You know yeah. I, mean? I, I, I think I think I, I my it's not on her side. I think it's mostly on his side that I think he would still struggle to disconnect from that that version of him because she is someone who, in addition to being a dancer, has been able to develop her identity as a mom um, and has had her child in her life the entire time and is someone who is passionate about that. And so she makes this money in order to support this child that she has in her life. And she's really developed that. And he hasn't had any time to develop any identity that doesn't exist in the ring. Whereas she's already developed those two. And I think in trying to develop a, an identity outside of the ring, I think that's where the, the relationship would deteriorate and break down in some way. And this is me talking about two fictional people, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, my, it's my psychological analysis of two, analysis of two fictional people. But I think that was the challenge that I always saw, was I thought she would be on the losing end of that relationship. I think I, I, that he's inevitably going to die. He, he, the, the, the him choosing the, the ring is, is it. He's going to die yeah, sometime yeah. doing this, and he has accepted that. So I think that is... I don't think they break apart as a two people interact with each other before he inevitably, like he did at the end, it's like, I'm choosing to go out on this. This is like, if I'm a, a Viking warrior, hey, you, you might be in love with me, but I'm going to die at Wait, some point. I'm, I'm, to, to, char to, to your point, though, uh, and I was going to say this before you started talking and you just did the long version, but he, <laughs> he no, no, but he, he, she never calls him Robin, right? No. So that, I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. He still won't go by his real name he asked her what she preferred to be called. I think, I mean, again, like I said earlier, there's a lot of subtlety in this movie that says something very overt. Him never letting him, never going by Robin around her is another sign that you might be right. It's not yeah. on her side, it's on his side that he can't let it go. He can't enough not be to be real with her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think, like, even in relationships, like, I, I've heard, and I know this from experience uh i i lost my stepfather earlier this year um he 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 died earlier this year and he was someone who lived with diabetes for most of his adult life and had a lot of health problems later in life and a lot of those had to do with not necessarily being uh as on top of caring for himself uh in his care sometimes i think that exacerbated some of the other medical issues that he was going through and it put a lot of strain on my mom and his relationship at times because she's like this isn't part of the bargain you not taking care of yourself is not part of the bargain that we made when we you know got married it's you know i need you here as much as you need me here and and it scares me when you're not doing that and i think that's the kind of strain is like his disregard for his own life and inability to disassociate from from wrestling enough to be like if you continue to wrestle you will die um even if he had allowed like you know ayatollah to pin him even if he hadn't done that match and had run off with her i think the pull would be too strong and that would deteriorate their relationship Whew. Yeah, it's coming with the fire takes, son. I gotta say to that. <laughs> yeah, and, that's some heat. And, no, and no, not, it's some heat. Okay, let me <laughs> yeah, talk. <laughs> you done? You can't say nothing back. You done? You got nothing. You done? You got nothing. You done? 
You done? Yeah, I'm anyway, done. nigga. So the point yeah, I said, uh, if they were gonna have a happily ever after, <laughs> in the world that these characters have a happily ever after, he walks away from wrestling. If so facto, that's a different person. But he if did he does not. That, yeah, you know sure. what I mean. Like, but he did it. He chose to do the thing, so he inevitably was going to have this ending. So sure. fuck are you, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> we are both right. <laughs> fuck it. Um, uh, <laughs> no, that's yeah. that's true. Yeah, this, he definitely chose that ending for sure. <laughs> Ayatollah. Yeah, I'm glad it was a black guy who beat him. Yeah, it, the, the the whole fight scene with Ayatollah is like so perfectly wrestling. Like Ayatollah's, I think just a black guy, but he plays up being like a Muslim, and everyone just boos him the whole time. And then yeah. here comes Mickey Rourke. The American flag drops down behind him as he's walking out, and he's like, "I'm like, oh my!" He reminded me actually in that moment of like hacksaw Jim Duggan, like can't yeah. get more American than me, brother. I'm gonna come and clean up these terrorists with racism. Was, was that, it the Iron Iron was, Shake they the had in shirt, the uh, yeah, yeah in the eighties? Which I was just, telling Rod all the way here, I was like, "Are, are we doing the movie The Wrestler? Or are we doing wrestling?" Because because I wasn't sure, <laughs> so I watched a bunch of wrestling clips, and all I can think of is the perfect embodiment of wrestling is I don't even remember what their names was, but it was the black wrestlers, and they um, were like, "Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga!" And I was like, "That's it!" And then he stops, he's like, "Oh, I fucked up!" And then he like turns around and walks away, and then the lady is like, "Yeah, yeah, um, it's gonna be a real good match, and it's gonna be, you're great." And then there's a cut right after that. And another scene, it's Vince McMahon saying, yeah, what's up, my nigger, to uh, Booker T, and like high fives and then walks away. And I'm like, I hate so this many things just were said right there. I hate there. this fucking thing so much. I was like, I hate this whole activity. This is why I, I can't get yeah. I remember one wrestling <laughs> match that I actually saw start to finish on TV. And that was with, like with my family in LA, age eight, maybe. It was. Lex Luger, Lex Luther, Lex Luger. I don't know. Luger, versus, yeah. Luger, Luger. versus uh, Yoko Zuna. Yes. And it, it felt so racist back then. I was like, "Why are these two fighting?" <laughs> I don't understand. Why is one clearly like a sumo wrestler, and one's like an all-American white guy? I don't understand this at all. It's- and nobody wanted Yoko Zuna. Not one single person. Not in this room full of black people. They're like, no, fuck this Chinese nigga. We don't. It's like he's Japanese. He's not Negro at all. Right. <laughs> so this, fuck this we, Chinese. He wants this American fuck this Chinese nigga. <laughs> wrestling and porn, the last bastions of blatant racism. <laughs> yeah, just, exactly. Have you been to a wrestling match people. live? Like a uh, WWE? I have not. No, I've I've really wanted to do PW. Was it PWG? Uh, yeah, I I wanted to do that uh, and have not been able to. Let me tell uh, you what you? it yes. ruins the mysticism, boy. <laughs> yeah, it, well, I never I've been went to a with Lucha Libre match. Actually, I went oh. to Lucha Vavum, which is a mixture yeah. of yeah. Lucha Libre <laughs> and burlesque dancing. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I was it's like the most Vavum. intense shit I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they, used to, they used to have like downtown like big at the Mayan. Yeah. yeah, bro. It was. I was like, what the. Fuck? fuck is happening right now it's like a sensory overload it's just it so really much is, stuff yeah. going on it was fun time. it was lit. Blast, yeah. <laughs> it was lit it was just so much i was just like what what <laughs> so i did go to a, i went to a wwe monday night raw oh wow uh, i'm not a wrestling fan so i did not go in like hyped for this i just kind of it was something to do because when i was with the indiana pacers and they were they had the uh monday night raw was at the facility was that like the allen field house or whatever it's called mm. uh 
So after practice, like we were leaving because the practice arena and the real arena were like kind of connected. Uh, they were like getting set up and like walking by. And uh, and Tyler Hansborough was on the team at the time from North Carolina. He was like a rookie, so he had like a lot of hype. And he loved wrestling. So some one of the guys was like, What's, there's like a, a fat black dude who was like very famous at the time. This is like 2009. This is actually the same year as the wrestler, yeah. Um, like so, that's a lot of them do. Yeah, know. but it was one guy specifically. Again, I didn't know. I, I wish I was a bigger the fan Dudley to be boys? able to tell you who this was. But <laughs> yeah, so I he's like, know. he's like, oh, you guys should come through. Got tickets, and I just happened to be standing there. I was like, you know what? Beats going back to the Sheraton or whatever, like I was doing every night. So the uh, bro, what was wild? Because I, I set all it up with that because because it was Tyler Hansborough and it was like we were on the Pacers. We sat in the very very front, like on like. Chairs that sat on the actual ground. So the only thing separating us from the ring was just a little area around where people like get in and out. So in the course of this match, which again, me coming in as a hater, this, this dude was getting beat up and then like he got thrown out the ring, but then someone else ran in like surprise, like to like, and then they're fighting. The dude who got thrown out the ring was Mark Henry. Mark Henry. That's exactly him. The dude who got thrown out the ring was right in front of us. Okay. For like show. Like, so they were fighting kind of in front of us and then dude uh -huh. ran back in the ring to fight somebody else. But the guy who got hurt was still there. When you're on TV, they're not showing this guy. When you're sitting anywhere else, you're not, you're not paying attention to this guy up close. This guy was six inches away from my face, just pretending to be hurt for what must have been like 12 minutes. And he was just like, it reminded me of the, that family guy episode where. Peter Griffin like bumps his knee. Oh yeah, and then he, uh, he was just yeah he was doing uh, that. He was like ah ah ah. That is one of the funniest scenes for so goddamn long. I'm like, bro, this is real life. Is anybody seeing this? This is not real. I want, I was like looking around trying to find somebody who was hating, including Tyler, who was like, it's good shit, man. <laughs> Fucking loving this. I'm like, no, this guy is just. And then at some point where he, like I don't know what cue he had. He like it literally was just fine and ran in and pinned the guy, and I was like, I'm done with this, bro. At the intermission, I, just, I was like, the Sheridan is better. I can't deal with this bullshit. <laughs> I was so fucking annoying what I just saw. That's my only time being it. I, I wanted to tell that story just because I'm like, we're talking wrestling, and I don't get to yeah. tell the story often. I think so it's, crazy. This, it's, wow. This, wow, it's this funny here. combination of like you can see clearly that they're not even coming close to touching each other in half of these things, like especially the punches where they stomp their foot to make, yeah, the, the, to make the sound. Yeah. And then moves that they do. I mean, obviously they're doing them in tandem together, but some of them look like if they were successfully executed on a person who was not expecting it, it would kill them. You're like, supposed to. <laughs> if I grab you by your over, neck bro. and pull Game you straight over. down on your head from yes, a rope, yeah, you're dead. not alive. Fam. Like, that's, that's what tripped me out when I saw it. Because I, I went with a homie for his birthday, and he was very excited. And I had gotten to the point where it was like, cool to shit on wrestling you know what i mean it's like it's not fucking real yeah <laughs> i was like yeah a lot of shit isn't and i was like I'll, I'll just go in with an open mind and and the slap shit throws you out for the, so the first five minutes i'm going off that alone like the, the yeah. fake slaps and then all the stuff he's talking about and then i just started like all right let me focus on the positives let me focus on the positives the shit that they pull off is mind-boggling to me i'm like Dog, these, these yeah. are some elite Wait, gymnasts on, on that note like, real quick you keep going ridiculous. i don't want to cut you off fully but 
Mickey Rourke did all these moves in the movie, right? This yeah. is a low-budget yeah. movie. He was yeah. executing these moves as like a 60 year Absolutely. Yeah. That's unreal. Yeah. It's out of pocket, bro. And that's the, that's what that was my big takeaway was. I was like, these motherfuckers are crazy, bro. This this is some real fearless shit. Because it was like, I think it was a ladder match, the one we went to. And I was like, fuck out of here, sir. That shit <laughs> yeah. is so fucking high, dog. That is so fucking high. And they are just beating each other with this. Like, you can fake, you can fake punches. You can't fake getting hit with a fucking chair, bro. You can't. Yeah. Fake it hit with a right. metal ladder, dog. I was like, what the fuck is going on here? So it's just the commitment. I give them all the credit in the world to committing to such a heinous activity. Yeah, but they like, make this agreement with each other to put on a good show for the fans. And it's like, we're both acknowledging that we're going to get hurt in some capacity. Some of these injuries can last for a really long time, but it's all like, like even at the beginning, in The Wrestler, there's that part where they're talking before the match and he goes like, hey, bring that cheap heat. Like, let's have a cheap dirty match yeah. and like i want to make you sure call you call it a staple gun yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I was like wait what <laughs> what, what's that like uh it's just you know cool going in we're coming out you know it's staples Oof. yeah <laughs> you know it's staples no nah, i don't know i don't know at all what are you talking about yeah man i i it's it's bonkers it's bonkers and then uh or even that so, opening shot of that opening shot of him. Sorry. Oh, yeah. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, that was, opening shot of him in that elementary school is just like you, that's the first shot that we see him is him sitting waiting to go in for his match. And he's in a school classroom and they're clearly having this in like an elementary or middle school gym yeah, yeah. is where this, this match is being held. It's sad. It, anyway. That uh, knowledge is insane. No, I just want to. We're, we're, we're at the hour mark, so. Time to move some, it along a little bit. You got some wild shit to say, right? This I don't have anything. I, I, where I said, you nut up. <laughs> you start saying out of pocket comments. I thought I thought I really took. I thought I got there when I said Chinese nigga. I thought that was no. What's the family one? The wrestler, the uh, one wrestler that uh, the Rock just produced the movie. Fighting with my family. I thought you were gonna bring up that shorty. That's where I thought you were going. Oh, why? Because she has her nudes leaked. Her nudes leaked. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> they're very, they're quite explicit. They're not just nudes. She has like, it seems like every wrestler in the association was having sex with this woman on camera. There's like oh, wow. different. Yeah, I've seen them. There's, <laughs> there's different ones where it's like three dudes in the and they're in like the locker room in the back, and she's just like riding dick all over the place. I was like, what is go. happening? There this, you go. This is not a normal week. This is not. This is not no. your average like. Kim K with the sound is weird, like Ray J's big dick. Like, this is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I set it up, you but that's still up. a wild I'll spike, it. I'll spike it. You toss it up there. I'll volleyball the shit out of it. Charlie, what, uh, what, do, you, what do you got coming up for you, man? What are you working on? Uh, so, uh, I've been uh, volunteering a lot with the Nithya Raman campaign for city council. Obviously, we have an election next week. I don't know when this is going to be out, so it may be over by that time. But. Uh, but uh, Nithya is a, a candidate that I've just like really uh, appreciated working with over the last several months. Uh, she's a true progressive who's working to end homelessness, and uh, she wants to reduce housing costs so that uh, people actually have a place to live in Los Angeles and can actually afford to live and stay here, especially as the pandemic makes housing security a lot more uh, scarce. And uh, she's completely and totally uh, financed by small small donors, grassroots campaign. There's like 2,000 people volunteering on this campaign. It's just been really inspiring wow. to see. And I really think this is something that's going to like help move Los Angeles forward in a big way. 
That's crazy. That big a force for, I don't think a city council vote in LA has ever gotten this much hype. No, like in my time that I've been looking at it. So this is pretty wild. When the incumbent was elected in 2015, he was elected with 5,000 votes. And there are 2,000 volunteers on this particular campaign. So uh, it's going to be a huge, huge turnout. Now, obviously, this is a general election, so people are turning out for the presidential election as well. But this has gotten, like, national attention as well. Like, people like Bernie Sanders, Nancy Pelosi, and Hillary Clinton have weighed in. So it's been, it's she's been wild. The, she's the podcast people's um, vote of choice. She's all around any type of podcast. Nithya for the city. Like, yeah. like everyone knows, everyone <laughs> yes, knows the slogans. Yeah. I thought you had some heat. His eyes were like, I was like, okay, he's focused. The screen froze a little bit. So, but no, I think it's just, she's been a person who like, she really like walks the walk and talks the talk. And, and it's been a really positive and inspiring experience to be a part of. And I'm just really hoping that LA answers the call and, and, puts her into office because we need change obviously what we got isn't working so how'd you get involved in working with her by the way uh so uh i started uh volunteering in june like around the time that you know there was the uprisings with the george floyd protests and things like that and i was someone who had been politically like active especially when it came to like national elections but didn't really get involved with la politics at all i think a lot of us who are transplants move here and put our focus into the entertainment industry or whatever it is. But at that point, I just felt like, you know, I need to actually be involved in making change at a local level and like turning the city into a version of the city that I would like to see. And so I just signed up on her website to volunteer and they actually like conduct an onboarding and bring you into their Slack. And there's just like a ton of opportunities to get involved. So there was, you know, text banking, phone banking, all that stuff. I did postcarding. I actually conducted a few like civic ed education uh, teach-ins to teach people about city council, how much power they have, how they execute that power. And uh, I've been tabling. I was tabling yesterday out in Sherman Oaks and did some tabling in Hollywood a couple weeks ago. And so, um, yeah, it was just something where I was like, I am going to put as much time as I can. I'm still working, but as much time as I possibly can into helping ensure this happens so that I don't feel like I was someone who felt like I wanted to see change, but wasn't really doing anything to make it happen. So this is, this is the one thing I fear when people say they want Biden. So things go back to how it was is that I don't want it to go back how it was. No, because if you look at the numbers and everything now, like this is the most active of people of a certain age. And by that, I mean, anybody underneath Rod's cutoff age of being dead of 35, who famously did not care and was like, whatever. Like if you look at the polling things, Anywhere across the cut, it's like they're through the roof. And it's like, that's what we need to maintain. Don't go, because if, if Joe Biden wins, I'll go, okay, well, it's back to not giving a fuck again. No, you got to stay on motherfuckers' asses, bro, because as you see, if you just let shit roll, shit happens to you. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, we live in a city and state that are controlled by Democrats and everything's still falling apart. So, you know, like we got to keep working. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, it's about getting people into office that are actually going to make that change. So like we need to shift further left. Like it's this, <laughs> if Joe Biden gets in, it's not just going to be like back to business as usual. It's like, we have to actually enact those policies that are going, going to help make people's lives better. Yeah. That's a good point that Joe, Bra- Joe Biden, which is why he wasn't my first choice 
is no, what a Republican either. should be right now. Yeah. And <laughs> people like Nithya or AOC or Bernie Sanders are what actual progressivism is. So I think that the Republican Party is dying. Uh, and this last flourish is like kind of like a dying plant where it's like the most beautiful part of it or whatever. It's, yeah. It's the biggest explosion, but they're going to settle in somewhere in the next 10 to 15 years on what Joe Biden is now. So that's fine. I don't. Okay. But the, the reason why you, when you say something about, you know, democratic controlled cities or states, what are we, if we're just saying a blanket, like these people have a D next to their name, that's one thing. Are we talking about that people actually have a vision for the future yeah. Are making the necessarily necessary steps to take care of people versus corporations. That has almost never been a DNR situation. That has been a, a a fucking who has and who hasn't situation for a long time. So um, hopefully our, I don't even think it's really our generation anymore. It's the generation after us will be the ones to f finally vote in the right people when their Absolutely. numbers get big enough. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about the the Republican Party, as it were, is dead. Um, they were supposed to have this huge reckoning after um, Bush, uh, George W. Bush, and especially when Barack Obama was elected in in such a resounding victory. It was like, oh, the Republican Party's in trouble. But then they ended up just shifting further right. Like you got the Tea Party after that, and then now you know with the rise of Trumpism, you've got this you know, right-wing nationalism, populism type stuff, and then QAnon and all that stuff. And they've had to embrace them because they need their support. They, they need them not from a voting perspective, but from an ideological perspective and in order to hold on to whatever power they have. But they have no real true ideology when it comes to governing or uh, electioneering. It's all they have to they have to find other ways to win because they can't win in a purely democratic electoral system. And so, yeah, I think like once that dying gasp is exhausted, then you're going to start to see progressivism come in and it will be the younger generations that will do that. And then that will have to pull the Republican Party left um, because they'll have to try to capture more moderate people at that point in time, because right now they've completely lost the moderate vote. So. It's a strong gasp, man, with the Senate and uh, Supreme I Court. I mean, but it is. Let's, but, yeah. That that gives credence more to can't be can't be over once November's over. You gotta stay fighting for what you want to have happen. But, Absolutely, yeah. like the wrestler, uh, fight till you die. Yeah. <laughs> where can you uh, brought it home, Chris? You brought it home. <laughs> where, just quickly, where can people find you on uh, social media? Uh, people can find me on uh, on Twitter at Charles Mahelic. Uh, so it's. M-I-H-E-L-I-C-H. And then my uh, you can listen to my podcast, Baywatch Watch, <laughs> where we recap Baywatch. We need to do Baywatch Watch. We yeah, got to have I'm you really guys excited, on Baywatch Watch. Really excited for Baywatch Watch. Yeah. Uh, we're going to watch this episode. I'm telling you, it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, so you can download that. And the socials for that are just at Baywatch Watch Pod. Uh, and that's it. It's fun. Say that five times fast. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah. Thanks blast. for having me. This was a blast, guys. You brought probably the first like serious movie we've had to like do like real analytical fucking talk about this entire time. I we were like used to doing like 
Mighty Ducks, where it's like, very Before that, I did, I did ask you. I said, Friday Night Lights. You said, we've already done it. And then I did say Mighty Ducks too. You did. <laughs> you did. said, we've already done that. So <laughs> it was going to be silly. And then it got, yeah. Then it got real. <laughs> and then I had to go serious. We got range out here, man. They got to tell the people. We got to let them know. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, man. I'll see you in like 20 minutes when you Here's walk your dog. dog. Appreciate <laughs> it. Appreciate it. Guys. Yeah, see you soon. <laughs> Take care. All right, bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.